Hey, what a fantastic morning. I've really enjoyed already what God's been doing. But, you know, we've got, a, we've got something in Family Church called Family Values. And that's some of the things that we're busy with and we care about. Don't worry about all the young people leaving. That's an army of the young going out to a special group that they've got called Ignition. And uh, we're so thankful for what God's doing in our young people. Amen. And, uh, you know, I looked out this morning and I was just going through some of our family values. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, we're generational. And then I looked down and there's an army of the young. Come on, don't they make you want to dance when you look forward and see an army of the young? Yet apparently young people don't go to church anymore. Somebody's lying here and it's not God. We're generational. We love it when the young praise God and the oldest of the old praise God right alongside of them. Amen. It also says in our family values that we're worshippers. Man, there was such a spirit of worship in the house today. Love looking out in those moments where people are just love, loving, worshipping God. Not singing songs, worshipping God. And then another one of our family values is we are disciples. Did you see that army of people getting their certificates because they went through the course? I think we're living true to what we've put on the tin, amen? Brilliant. Now, I want to teach a little bit over the next few weeks and... Uh, I, that's why I put a chair up, because a chair slows me down, all right? When I'm standing, I preach. When I sit, it just slows me down a little bit. And I want to slow down the next three weeks deliberately to teach a little bit and look at the subject of the will of God, because this is a key thing that often people have confusion about. What is the will of God? And we want to just take three weeks just to look at this a little bit together. Is that okay? Right, we finished a series on pathways and how many people enjoyed that series? And we looked at the subject of making sure our feet are on the correct pathways and not on the wrong pathways. And uh, we had so many good reports come back from people enjoying that series. Now, this next mini-series, the next three weeks, it follows nicely on from that because the reality is if you're going to walk on the pathways of God, then you're going to be walking in accordance to the will of God right? If you're going to walk the pathways, if you say, I want the pathways of life, I want the pathways of God, that means that you're saying at the same time, I'm no longer going to live for my will. I want to live true to the will of God. Now, this is brilliant, but the reality is before a person can walk in the will of God, they've got to know what the will of God is, right? It's an easy thing to say, come on, let's walk in the will of God. But your very real question in response could be, well, what is the will of God? So we're going to take our time the next three weeks to look at a little bit at what is the will of God. I'm always inspired in Matthew 6, verse 10, where we're uh, commissioned and taught to pray by Jesus. Remember, the disciples said, how do we pray? And he said, when you pray, you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That's a great prayer. But again, we've got this situation that we can't pray, let your will be done without knowing what the will of God is. So, two key questions I often get um, asked or I hear questions that Christians have is number one, what is the will of God? Number two, how can I know the will of God for my life? Has anyone else ever had that question? 
all right, I know the Bible says that I've got to live by the will of God, but how can I know what the will of God is for my life? How can I know God's will for this thing that I'm facing, this situation that I'm in? Now, this is a really good question, and that often covers random moments where you need to, in many ways, know the unrevealed will of God. But there's nothing in the Bible, there's nothing that you've heard that has shown you God's will for this moment or situation that you're in. And we're going to cover that over the next couple of weeks. We're not in a hurry. Um, you know, maybe you're in a moment where you've got a bespoke situation and you're going, this is new. I don't know anyone that's been through this, but I really need to know the revealed will of God or what God's will is in this situation. Now, that's brilliant. But before we take time to look at what I'm going to term the unrevealed will of God, that bespoke answer, that personal answer he's got for you, for that situation you're facing, I want us to start our journey today by looking at the revealed will of God. Because sometimes Christians are so busy looking for what is not yet revealed, they overlook the will of God that's already revealed. But God has made his will known for so many things. And it's in his word, isn't it? When we open the Bible, when we open the word of God, if you're new to church, when we say word of God, we mean the Bible. When we open the Bible, we actually read the will of God concerning so many things and so many situations we could daily face. So before we go on a hunt for the unrevealed, we want to know that we found the revealed will of God and we're living true towards that. Now, if ever you've experienced um, somebody passing, there's often after somebody's passing the reading of their will. And that's the last will and testament. Now, when you hear about a person's last will and testament, what's in a will? It's the desires of the person expressed in a document. When we read the Bible, it's the desires of God expressed, not just in a book or a document, but in a living document, a living word. So when we approach God's word, one of the ways that we could look at it is we're opening God's will and testament or God's will and testimony to us concerning how he desires for us to live, how he desires for us to handle certain situations. Like I said, there may be things that you can't get an answer for in the Bible. We're going to look at that next week when we talk about the perfect and the permissive will of God. But this week, we want to look and just focus on all that God has already revealed concerning his will towards us. Here's a key verse we're going to be reading over the next few weeks, and it's found in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to now offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform or be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world or the ways of this world or the will of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. 
not just his will, but his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when we read this passage of scripture, two things jump out to me. Number one, knowing and testing God's will starts by us now seeing our lives as his property. Present your life now as a living sacrifice, holy, holy, available to him. So the journey of discovering God's will, his unrevealed will and his revealed will, is us now seeing that our lives are no longer our own. The Bible says we were bought with a price. Jesus Christ shed his blood for your life. He gave a fair price for all of your life. Amen. Now, that's important because then suddenly we're looking for the will of God, no longer our own will, because we recognize that our old man was crucified with Christ. But number two, that we're purposing to live non-conformist lives to societies and its way of doing things. An unsaved society has a will for your life. It wants to tell you how you should live. But we're followers of Jesus Christ. And like it says in Romans, we choose now not to conform or fall in line with the will of an unsaved world, rather with God's. Now, Doing this allows us to then see the difference between his will and the will of the world. We were once in the world, but God has saved us and we're now in his kingdom. When we understand we're kingdom people, we can understand the difference between his will and the will of the world for our lives. Now, we find the will of God, or as we've turned it, the revealed will of God in the Bible and uh, in the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to teach you a couple of words. Two this week, two next week, they all begin with P. When it comes to looking at the, uh, the will of God and the revealed will of God, it's sometimes referred to as the prescriptive will of God. All right? Prescriptive will of God. What does that mean? It means that there are things that God has already written in his word but clearly give us example of how he wills for us to live. It's not um, a hunt. It's not a maze. They're there for every person to see. What's some examples of those things? Honor your father and mother. That's Matthew 19, 19. When we read those verses, that's the prescriptive will of God. God saying, you don't need to wonder if it's my will for you to honor your parents. It's there, plain sight. If you want to ignore it, that's your choice. Another example will be, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your might. That's something, again, that's an example of a prescriptive will of God. You don't have to wonder, is it God's will for me to love God with everything that I am? He's already written it in his word. His will, his desire for you and me, isn't that we love him a little bit, but that we love him from the core of who we are, the best of who we are. That's God's revealed will. You don't need to pray about that. God's already let you know that's what he desires. So when you look at the um, prescriptive will of God, that automatically leads you to another P, which is called the prohibitive will of God. This is deep today, isn't it? 
eh? the prohibitive will of God. Just as the prescriptive will of God tells you what God expects you to do, the prohibitive will of God tells you what God doesn't will for you to do. He's not only said, this is how I want you to live, he's also recorded in the Bible how he doesn't want us to live. Now, what's some examples of this? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Exodus 20, verse 7. Don't need to pray about it. God's revealed his will. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Another example, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. We see these things in Exodus, and they reveal to us the things that God does not want us to do. Amen? Now, there's also certain things in God's word that for some reason he chose to specifically mention or underline as his will towards us. So number one, you have the prescriptive will of God. When you open the Bible with a heart to learn, you see over and over again God saying, this is my will for you. This is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to treat people. This is how I want you to treat yourself. But then also the prohibitive, God saying clearly, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New, don't do this, don't do this to people, don't do this, don't live like this anymore, that's not who you are. That's the prescriptive and the prohibitive. But there's certain things that I noticed, I'm only going to grab four of them, where it clearly says, this is the will of God for you. So that even takes it to another level where we don't need any confusion. Now the first one of these is that we would seek to know and understand his will. That's God's will for you, that you and me would be people who are seeking, desiring to know his will, not just living in the boundaries of what we think we can get away with. We're going to talk next week on the permissive and the perfect. The permissive is often people going, well, he's okay with this, so I'll live like that. Hmm, that's basic Christianity. A better measure of Christianity is when we say, God, I don't want to know what I can get away with. I want to know what thrills your heart. So when we look at the word of God, it says that something that God wills for us is that we would be a people who are seeking in pursuit to know his will for our lives. I'm going to read to you from Ephesians 5. Verse 15 to 20. I'm going to use quite a few verses today. That's all right. It's okay. If we read the Bible in church, no one's going to get offended. Write me an email or anything. All right, we're good with that? Okay. Imagine that. There was just far too much um, scripture used this morning. I've never had that, and I'm not anticipating it. But listen to this, Ephesians 5.15. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish, rather understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled, don't settle for second best, rather be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father, for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So there's three things I see when I read that scripture. Number one, that the Bible says that we should be a people who are seeking 
to understand and then also purposing to live true. Is that you? That's who I want to be. A person that reads the Bible to ever be seeking the will of God. But then in my heart, not just having knowledge, but putting legs on it. God, I want to know your will and I want to live in your will regarding all things that my life um, includes. Number two, that we're a people who are not overcome anymore or living under the influence of other things and not the spirit. That's the will of God for your life. In your former life, before you knew Christ, you may have been under the influence of a whole bunch of things. Now God's will is that you're no longer under the influence of other things, but you're enjoying the influence of his Holy Spirit. Amen? Because when you're under the influence of something else, you're actually living under the will of it for your life. How many people know that alcoholism has no good will for you? Drug addiction has no good will for you. Now that we're born again, we don't live under the influence or the will of things we once did, all right? Rather, we say, God, let me know your Holy Spirit moving in my life every day. Number three, we're a people who give thanks continually <clears throat> for what we have, not a people who walk around moaning about what we haven't got. Thanksgiving is key. And again, you'll see in another passage in a few moments, God loves it when we live a life <clears throat> that's full of thanksgiving. So number two, the Bible records that it's God's will that we now, as his followers, live not religious, but separate, set apart, and pure. And he said that clearly in his word. That's the revealed will of God. You haven't got to walk around life going, I wonder if God wants me to live different like I once lived. I wonder if God wants me to live pure. You, you haven't got to wonder. God has revealed his will in his word regarding those things. I'm going to read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. You ready? It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That word sanctified means set apart. <coughs> it's like when in the summer I buy a load of tins of Diet Coke and I put them in the fridge and when I go back, they're not there anymore. It's not magical somebody took them. So sometimes I get a couple of tins of Diet Coke and I say to those who may be involved, these two are mine. They are, I have purpose for these. I have intention for these. These are a part of my future. They're sanctified, <clears throat> set apart for the purposes of their owner. And sometimes they're still there when I go back later on. So here the Bible says that God's will is that we now live set apart lives. But we don't blend in with the world. We're no longer conformed to the will of the world, but we're hungry for the will of God in our hearts. <clears throat> now, that's what I call living ecclesia lives. Now, the word that's often used for the church is ecclesia. And the word ecclesia means the called out, the different ones. The called out and the different ones. God's revealed will is that we live like those who have been called out of the world that we once felt comfortable in to be his kingdom people. But then it also mentions 
pure lives. So it is not, it, it, sorry, it is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. Oh my, Andy just used the sex word in church on the stage. I did because it's in the Bible. And God reveals his will for the sexual part of who we are as his people. We don't need to be scared to talk about it. Paul wasn't and nor's God. God invented sex. Newsflash, some people are like, whoa, it was God. But he designed it to be used in a correct way. See, the word abuse is taken from two words, abnormal use. That's where the word abuse comes from. And often when God made something pure and holy, the enemy comes and tries to get people to abnormally use what God made. It doesn't mean that God didn't make it. It means that for all of us in some ways, our understanding of it was abused by the lies of an enemy. Now, I want to just <clears throat> be blunt with you today. But it says that you should avoid sexual immorality. It's what the Bible teaches. <clears throat> that each of you should learn to control their own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like pagans, heathens, unsaved people who do not know God. So what's the revealed word of God for our sexuality or that area of who we are? We no longer live sexually. <clears throat> I'm not coughing because I'm nervous. <clears throat> I've got a bit of a clogged throat here. It's like, you know, a parent talking to children. We're all right. It's just a clear throat. So the will of God is that we don't live sexually like those who don't belong to God. We don't abuse what God gave as a gift. We honor, we rediscover, we repent if we've got it wrong, but now we walk in his revealed truth, not just for that area of our life, but for every area. Can I get an amen to encourage me? Thank you very much. Now, it says to us that we define normal now by his word, not by a changing, immoral, confused society. We're not looking to an immoral, confused society to understand what the will of God is for any area of our life, including the sexual area of our life. We're now looking to God's word. God, I want to see in your word your revealed will for how I should manage that incredible area of the life that you gave me to be. Number three, his will is that we should live rejoicing, prayerful, and thankful lives. Again, this is something that he stated as his will. It's not just his prescriptive will. I'm going to read to you again from 1 Thessalonians, this time chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. You ready? Rejoice always, not sometimes, <clears throat> rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Again, he's underlined it. You don't need to be confused about these three things. What are the three things? These are lifestyle characteristics of believers that we're rejoicing. What does rejoicing mean? We're full of joy 
independent of things that are happening around us. See, joy isn't happiness. Happiness is a branch of a greater tree called joy. Happiness is when you experience joy. Joy is when you just know God's in you and he's giving you the strength to be happy when everything around you says you really shouldn't be. Number two, praying. Praying without ceasing. Does that mean that we're walking around life just going, dear Lord Jesus, I prayed today for the cat and next door and the woman next door. Is it, is it like we're praying when we do in the mornings? No, praying without ceasing is not shutting down your communication with God when you say amen at the end of your morning prayer. To me, praying without ceasing is continually having a mind on God, ears turned towards God, always saying when you hit situations, God, what are you saying in this? What are you saying to me in this? Or you find yourself in a moment, God, what do you want me to do in this moment? That's living a life of unreligious prayer. That doesn't mean that you don't have a prayer time in the morning or in the evening, but it's living prayerful. And number three, giving thanks in all things. Notice it doesn't say for all things. It would be stupid to say um, thanks for some things, wouldn't it? Like if you've got a bunion on your foot or hemorrhoids or something worse. It would be ridiculous, wouldn't it, to go, oh, I'm giving you thanks for these hemorrhoids. That's just ridiculous. It doesn't say for all things. It says in all things. So that when you find yourself in a situation and you really don't want to give thanks because it's not funny and you don't even think it's God's will for your life, you don't have to give thanks for that. You give thanks in that moment that God is faithful to his word. God can turn everything around. He's done it before. He'll do it again. You find thanks in the moment. Don't feel you have to say thank you for things that didn't even come from him, right? And number four, it's his revealed will that none should perish. Very clear again, the verse leaves no room for confusion. I'm going to read to you from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise or his promises, as some count slackness but is long-suffering towards us. He really is, isn't he? When I look at my own life, the times he kept my foot from slipping, the times he picked me back up again when I got it wrong, the time he just forgave me again, he forgave me again, he forgave me again. God is long-suffering and not willing, not his will or desire, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, again, that word repentance doesn't mean you cry your eyes out because you got found out. It means you change the way you think. His will is that we don't perish, but we all come to moments where we change the way we think concerning God, concerning life, concerning his plans for us in any section of who we are. Now, the word perish is an interesting word, and one definition I once read was that to perish is to slowly fade away until you are no more. Isn't that a horrible definition of somebody, just like a candle, slowly running out of wax until one moment, they're gone. 
That's rubbish. That's not God's will for your life. Now, I'm planning, I'm planning on living long, but when I go, you'll hear me leave. All right? You won't wonder. You'll hear me leave. Okay? Because I ain't going to fade out. I'm going to get older, but I ain't fading out. I want to be a crazy granddad. I, I, I want to be rocking it in my rocking chair on my porch. I, I want to be an inspiration to people until the day I see Jesus face to face. I've got no plan of perishing. But when you look at sickness and illness, that's what happens. People perish, don't they? But it's not God's will that any perish. Man, is that time right? Wow. It's like God supernaturally included increased time today, isn't it? It's like normally I'm done and I'm wrapping up saying, get the band up. And here we are, taking a stroll. Do, 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 do. Loads of time. It's not God's will that any should perish. Another definition of perish is to go round in the same old monotonous circles. God wants to break monotonous circles and bring kingdom life into your world. So his will, not perish, clearly revealed. Now, this is what I also love about the Bible. His will, God's will, isn't just revealed in the words he's included, but they're also revealed in the examples of his ways. So whenever you read about Jesus doing something in the Gospels, you can see God's will for then and now being worked out through God the Son. So whenever you read, and I love to do this, whenever I read the Gospels and I see Jesus doing good for someone, ending perishing for someone, I live by this simple rule. If you did it for one, you'll do it for everyone. If you won't do it for one, you won't do it for any. And if you did it for this one, you can do it for me. Because his will is revealed, not just in the things that he said, but in the things that he did. Now, when we look at the Gospels, we need to read the Gospels and read them that they create an expectation for our lives today. If you know anyone that's battling sickness, the testimony of Jesus is your expectation that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did it for them, he can do it for your friend as well. So why not pray for them and ask God to heal them of that sickness? Otherwise, he wouldn't have sent his disciples out as well, right? It wasn't just about Jesus healing the sick. He said, all right, all of you, go out and heal the sick as well. In fact, the Great Commission, when you read the verses, it says, and when you go, preach for kingdom of God is here and heal everyone that's sick. So suddenly, Jesus would have to change his mind if he's saying to the church, don't believe for healing. Because his will is revealed in his commission, the words he spoke, but also in his example, and the example of those who followed him before us. Amen? <clears throat> you know, there was one verse I never really, I always used to try to get, but I couldn't get my head around it. And recently I was listening to uh, somebody share, and they mentioned this verse, and they explained it, and all of a sudden the lights went on for me. I get it, finally. And it was the verse in Revelations 19, verse 10, when it says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? What we read about the testimony of Jesus doing in the Gospels gives us a prophetic expectation of what we can believe for today. 
because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, this is important. Otherwise, you'll be praying, not knowing if he wants to heal you. And that's just not right. Now, that's what the leper did that we read about in Matthew 8. Um, Here we see in the Gospels clearly that it was God's will to heal the sick. Amen? It says, and he healed all of them that came to him. It wasn't any time when Jesus said, well, I'm not sure I'm going to heal you. Or I'm out of healing power, come back next Wednesday. Everyone, the testimony of Jesus was that he healed the sick, had compassion for the sick, raised the dead, brought wholeness to the wounded. Amen? So you've got this leper turning up, and he's a little bit confused. And it says, when Jesus, this is Matthew 8, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, if you will, he was confused about the will of God. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I love these words, I am willing. Be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed from his leprosy. We need to understand that healing is the will of God. That just as, you know, just as the cross dealt with our sin, it also dealt with sickness. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was beaten. You know, by his stripes, we are healed. Amen. Why? Because it's his desire, his will, that none would perish. Now, when we look at perish, it's got an eternal and it's also got a natural or a now context. When we look at eternal, what does it mean it's not God's will that any perish? It means but it's not God's will that any person that's alive today goes to a lost eternity when they die. That means that God's will is that every person joins him in paradise after their life here is spent. That's God's will. Now, that's what should fuel us. What should make us tell our friends and family about Jesus and how he saves. But we understand that it's the Father's will that none go to hell. None go to a lost eternity. But they won't be able to receive Jesus as saviour if they don't hear about them. They won't hear about him unless somebody speaks. And somebody's not going to speak unless they're sent to speak. Church, we are sending you to tell all of your friends and family that they do not need to go to a lost eternity. One prayer can give them assurance of eternal life beyond the life they live here. But when we come to the plans of God for us not perishing, it's not just about heaven. Oh, let's struggle through life, and when we get to heaven, everything will be all right. Nah, I don't subscribe to that. Because the will of God, the testimony of Jesus, which is the prophecy for us today, is that we can know him, bring wholeness into any brokenness that's in our world right now. Sickness, depression, captivity, 
I believe that Jesus still heals. I believe Jesus still sets free. I've sinned too much even recently. I've sinned too much in my own family to deny that Jesus heals and sets people free. He's real. But we've got to approach him with no question marks. Amen. Now, when we look at God's will for our lives that we're living here, we know that heaven, salvation in eternity is his will. But what about now? Are we sometimes like that leper? If you're willing, Jesus, God wants to remove your question marks and replace them with exclamation marks. You are my savior. You are my healer. You are the one who sets me free. Now, when you look at the word salvation, and Jesus came to bring salvation, it's the word, it's a catchy little word called sozo. Sozo. S-O-Z-O. Sozo. And that word, it means a number of things. This is basically what sozo means. To be saved, to be rescued from a great peril, that's eternity. To protect to keep alive, to preserve life, to deliver, to heal, and to be made whole. That's God's will for us here on earth, not just the life to come. His will is that we experience healing. His will is that we experience freedom from things that have held us captive, emotional, could be anything. His his will is is that we experience wholeness in any given area of our life. Now, salvation is so important to God, he actually made it the name of his son. Do you know that the name Jesus means salvation? The name Jesus is taken from the name Joshua. And the word Joshua means the Lord who is salvation. So Jesus comes from Joshua. The name of Joshua meant the Lord, he is salvation. That word, sozo. Let's read that with the definition. The Lord, he is the one who delivers you from great peril. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is the one who keeps you alive, preserves your life, delivers you, heals you, and makes you whole in any area where there isn't wholeness. That is who he is. His name is Jesus. So it's God's will that we don't perish. Could I get the band up? We're going to go out worshipping or praising today. It's God's will that we don't perish. We're going to carry on next week looking at what we call the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. And then we're going to finish week three by talking about choosing God's will. Have you enjoyed today? I want to encourage you this week, be open in the Bible, saying, God, would you show me your revealed will? God, I'm going to put a park right now on praying you for things that I don't know. And I'm going to look at what you've already shown me concerning how you want me to live and how you don't want me to live. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your, your life to Jesus. You've never said, Jesus, you've never been become my saviour. I've never acknowledged you dying on a cross for my sin. Firstly, we're so thankful that you're here today if you're visiting for the first time. I hope you've enjoyed your experience with us as a church family. 
But every time that we meet, we always say we will never not give the opportunity for somebody to say yes to Jesus. Could we just pray this all together at the moment, church? Would you do this with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me, to pay the price for my sin, and to free me from law, to give me a brand new beginning and a fresh start. Jesus, I acknowledge you as Lord and Saviour of my life. Just my every eyes closed, every head's bowed. Ten last week, that was an awesome week, hey? If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus or you're confused if you've given your life to Jesus or not, let's remove the question mark. I'm going to count to three and if you've prayed that prayer for you today and you want to give your life to Jesus, when I say three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. Oh my, we have four hands, five hands lifted already at the back. Praise God. Come on. Come on. I'm I'm loving what's going on. One, two, three, four, five. Love that. When I shout to three, when when I count to three, there's six. I haven't even said it yet, guys. You're awesome. When I say three, if you've prayed that prayer for your life and you want to give your life to Jesus today, join these six and pop your hand up. One, two, three. Six, seven. Is there an eighth person? You say eight, nine. Come on, let's do this. Let's do this. Is there a tenth person today? Come on, is there a tenth person today? Don't leave me hanging. There's no, 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 that wasn't, that was a twitch. Sorry, I'm not going to lie. Is there a tenth person? You say, me too. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I've got nothing to lose. Praise God, there's number 10, a very special number 10. Come on! That's 20 in two weeks. Father, we just pray for these people today. But what they've done will now make sense. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and fill their hearts with your life. In Jesus' name.